Hello, everyone, and uh, welcome to Disrupt TV. My name is Vala Afshar, Chief Digital Evangelist at Salesforce, and your co-host for the next hour. We welcome you to follow us on Twitter at Disrupt TV Show. Send Ray and I and our distinguished guests your questions throughout the show. We'll try to answer them live using hashtag Disrupt TV. Uh, also, check out our iTunes. Uh, we have over 175 guests uh, that have shared with us throughout the course of the year. We'd love for you to watch the show and give us feedback. It's uh, my pleasure to introduce my co-host, uh, Ray Wong, founder CEO of Constellation Research, regular contributor to Harvard, Forbes, ZDNet, uh, best-selling author of Disrupting Digital Business, and one of the uh, top futurists and enterprise software experts to follow on Twitter, at R-W-A-N-G-0. Welcome, Ray. Hey, thanks a lot, Vala, and I'm live here at the Joe Weed Studio here in Las Gatos. Welcome my awesome co-host, Vala Afshar. He's one of the top CIO, CMO influencers in the world, and more importantly, someone you can easily follow, engage with, and of course, on HuffPo. So who do we have today? We've got a very exciting uh, lineup here. Who's start? We Who's first? On We're honored to have uh, our first guest, Peter R.I., CEO and co-founder of Prezi. Uh, Peter has spent the last 10 years building products and helping pe people make better decisions. He is the CEO and co-founder of Prezi, a fast-growing startup based in San Francisco and Budapest with over 85 million users, 300 employees worldwide. Prezi's community is challenging the status quo uh, of how to be understood and remembered in a world that is increasingly crowded with data but lacking insights. I love that. We're going to learn more about that. Peter is also involved with establishing organizations that promote entrepreneurship and diversity in Hungary and beyond. Peter is chairman and co-founder of Bridge Budapest, an uh, organization that has shared five million stories of inspiration every year. The We Are Open initiative, co-founded by Peter, has built a community of nearly a thousand companies that are now committed to diversity and openness in the workplace. Peter has won numerous awards since finding the company, including European Web Entrepreneur of the Year, European Tech Startup Award for the Best Startup Co-Founder. He was ranked number 11 last year on the Outstanding on Financial Times Leading LGBT Executives list of 100. He's another excellent follow on Twitter, at P-E-T-E-R-A-R-V-A-I. Welcome, Peter, to Disrupt TV. Thanks, Rala. Hey, welcome, Peter. You know, with that extensive background, we really wanted to understand how did that take you from where you are today to your current position at CEO at Prezi, and really a little bit about what caused you to start Prezi and, and think about you know changing the world of visual communications. Sure. Well, I've always been really interested in how tools help us to make better decisions. And before Prezi, I started a healthcare um, company where we looked at allowing patients to discover the differences between treatment outcomes so that you could actually uh, make different decisions on what clinic to go to based on mortality rates, infection rates, complication rates. And this was in Sweden where I was born and raised. And, and we really found that storytelling was the most effective way that we could help patients to understand this information. And, and with Prezi, when we started that, I got really excited because here we had a chance to build a general purpose tool that would allow anyone to tell their stories in more effective ways. And in such a way, you know, hoping to, to raise the tide, uh, of, tide for everyone to be able to communicate more effectively and the world essentially becoming a better decision maker. So from healthcare efficacy to communications <laughs> efficacy uh, in, in the business world is where you're taking this. Yeah, and, and at the end of the day, I really see, um, you know, humanity's ability to communicate is essentially our operating system as a race. And so when we invent books, we become better decision makers. When we invent radio and TV, it helps us to become uh, better decision makers. And I, I think Prezi is a small but relevant uh, part of that. You, Prezi recently announced the launch of Prezi Next, uh, which helps users uh, convey their message in a, in a memorable way uh, through uh, conversational presenting. And so yeah. when, you, when you say conversational presenting, what does that mean? Uh, what are the benefits and 
you know, how do you how do you get to a point where you can you know achieve a, a memorable presentation? Sure. Well, you know this situation where you pull up a couple of slides and then somebody asks a question and the person exits and they start scrolling around on the side trying to find among their hundred slides. Oh, I have a visual. Well. That's the situation that we take care of through conversational presenting. Because in Prezi, you don't arrange your ideas in the form of a series of slides. But instead, you create a menu of ideas arranged on a large canvas that you can zoom into. And by arranging information like that, it really helps people to pick and choose whatever they want to go into. And we see today, particularly in, in modern sales and marketing, if you go to a customer and you actually want to do a presentation, customers are much more educated nowadays than when they used to be. They have access to information over social media, websites, et cetera. And so uh, really, the job of a salesperson is changing in the sense that it's about helping people to connect dots much more than in the past. Now, speaking about connecting dots, I mean, one of the interesting things that um, was published just earlier this month was this Harvard study where they were looking, does a presentation's medium affect its message? PowerPoint, Prezi, and oral presentations. Like, I mean, we look at Moulton, Turkey's, and, and Coslin's study here. They showed something very interesting. You want to highlight uh, what, what they talked about and what was the impact? Yeah. Now we have scientific evidence that Prezi actually helps you to be more organized, more effective, more persuasive and as a presenter. And, and it's a significant difference. We even know today that people who use Prezi are seem to be more knowledgeable than, than those who don't. So we, <laughs> the medium does affect the message. But, at the, but that may sound almost superficial compared to what we're understanding about our users, which is essentially that they get themselves more organized when they arrange their ideas in Prezi. So, so we do think it has a deep impact on actually how you think about your ideas. So actually, what you might be hitting on is the fact that people who have to put their presentations in Prezi are much more organized and are thinking about how they want to tell the story. And these two are force, forcing functions with each other. That's exactly right. And, and we even know today that if uh, you show a PowerPoint, that's as effective or sometimes less effective than if you had shown nothing at all. I think that's actually a remarkable result, not just of this research, but of previous research that uh, we've seen as well. And one way to understand this is, is actually uh, by doing a small thought experiment. Do you guys want to do it with me? Yeah, I'd love to. Yeah, so if I ask you to recall your five favorite kitchen appliances here now, Ray, can you tell me what they are? Yeah, um, the, the KitchenAid mixer, that was okay. number one. Uh, the next one is a microwave oven, like the sharp yeah. ones that you kind of pull out. Uh, the Miele steam oven, uh, yeah. the blender, which is a Vitamix blender, and then, of course, um, the toaster oven, the classic Black & Decker toaster oven. Great. Thanks, thanks, Ray. I guess in order for you to remember those things, what you just did is you imagined your kitchen, you looked around in your kitchen and all of that, right? I did. I thought throughout the, my, my life, like my childhood and all the cool things I remember from each point of that childhood in the different kitchens. That's great. Now, what you didn't do is you didn't put bullet-pointed lists and, and spelled out words. Is that right? <laughs> no, I didn't. Um, I went through the brainstorming process in my head. Yeah, and, and so the vast majority of our presentations is really bullet-pointed list, despite us today knowing that if you show a list like that, people will understand and retain less of that information than if you had shown nothing at all. And it's kind of like you know, when you read a book and try to listen to the radio at the same time. It's not possible. But a lot of presenters create exactly that situation. And so what we also know is that just referring through the example of what you went through, that if you actually show pictures, then it does help people to understand and retain information. Turns out it's not just pictures, though, because you could show pictures in slides, right? Turns right. out that the relative position between the pictures, so what's next to what, 
or which kitchen was it that you looked in turns out to be as an important of an indicator as the picture itself. So what Prezi does when it zooms around between ideas, it creates connections between ideas, which is actually the way stories are made. And that, that, that is why we believe that, that Prezi does become a more effective tool. You know, now this is really interesting. When we think about that future of presentations, right, and what makes a great presentation, um, it sounds like the content is important, but packaging and how it's being used is even more important. Is that what you guys are saying? Oh, absolutely. And also, we're at this really exciting point in time where we're beginning to understand the human brain well enough to start creating tools that actually gels with the way our brains work. And, and we can use science to actually understand this. So I think the future of presentations is really having productivity tools that can show clearly that they really aid your productivity. And at the end of the day, if, if you are doing presentations, you need to be effective, persuasive, organized, all of these things we were talking about before. Now, what are you doing to help people build better conversations and presentations and storytelling and new techniques? Um, what's next for Prezi? Um, are you getting into areas like AR? Oh, uh, yes, we are, in fact. And you, you may have seen that just this spring, we did a AR presentation together with Ted. So we had a professor, Dr. Sapolsky, here at the Prezi office who was beaming himself onto the TED stage directly in Vancouver. And, um, and what we created was essentially an experience where without a green screen, green screen just using a regular laptop, uh, Dr. Sapolsky could reach out and essentially touch uh, the ideas, which we think is a really great way of, again, uh, creating increasingly immersive experiences of how you tell a story. Um, I think a really great example of, of you know, understanding the future of, of visual communications and, and, and presentations as well is just thinking about what computer games have looked at in the last and changed throughout the last few decades. So if we go back to the 60s, you may remember the ping pong thing. Essentially, it was just you know two things. Pong. <laughs> That's right. And then, of course, we got things like Super Mario, where you had a two-dimensional thing, a character wow. jumping just up and down. But it still, you had colors, and you had a little person. Well, nowadays, it's full-on immersive 3D experiences. And, and that's because, of course, these kind of experiences engage our brains much deeper and meaningful way. Now, Prezi in the last eight years have essentially worked on how do you create spatial experiences for presentations. So we have the world's largest library of spatial presentations and presentations as well, by the way. They, they, uh, our users have created 325 million of them, and we can't wait until more and more of these technologies come alive, because essentially the metaphor for Prezi has always been better suited for AR and VR. No, and especially what we're hearing is that the phones, um, if we think about the new releases of the phones from the iPhones to the Samsung phones, they're building the AR technology in there. It's at the chip level, which is going to make it a lot easier to actually represent. And then, of course, you're starting to see a lot of these VR worlds and these different rooms pop up where people are able to interact and engage and, uh, and then jump in there. So we, we're definitely seeing that. Yeah, and oh, it's just a reflection of computers starting to work more like the way our brains work at the end of the day, because that makes them more efficient. So how do you think this changes the future of work in terms of not just business communications um, and presentations? Um, it sounds like you might be able to take uh, Prezi to an even further level um, beyond AR and VR. What, what are some of the futures? I think, uh, in, in essence, we, we will have a an interesting challenge where we will have to find ways of being inclusive of the intelligence that machines provide and, and the values that humans provide in a, in a positive way. But I think Prezi is a great example of where this can happen in a very constructive way. I mean, we hear, we hear the 
Terminator doomsday scenarios, and those are all too dominant, I think, in in today's conversation. But we also have an opportunity of of working together in a, a much more constructive way, and I think part of that will be to you know maintain the human story and tell that story in increasingly better ways, and and there I hope Prezi will uh, play an active role. You know, we're definitely seeing some changes in the future of work. Alan Lepofsky, one of the analysts that's also we're going to be talking to in a little bit on our team, he's been looking at how this is changing, how we interact, how we engage, looking at AI and, and what happens in uh, how we work in terms of an area that we think about as augmenting humanity. Uh, do you see any other um, ways that are going to change that engagement? Is it, uh, is it going to happen like embedded? Is it going to... Uh, change the way uh, you, saw, you spoke earlier about improving our decision making. Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, already now, even though we don't think of mobile phones as augmentation, you could say that it's a type of augmentation because most of us, all of us, feel bad when we've left our phone uh, in in the wrong place. We we get anxious, and so it's almost like these devices are already an integral part of uh, who we are. I think the the thing that will, in the short term, cause a huge challenge is that as these machines get increasingly intelligent, uh, they will be used also to try to gain attention. And you know, attention is the last scarce resource that we have as humans. And <laughs> and we 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 see that in our email uh, inbox that as you know, make it easy for people to create spam, and it you know, just finds our way into our daily lives. And so this is where it gets back to that human story uh, element, that the people who will be able to tell good stories will be able to uh, cut through the noise. And I think the the ask of, of us who wants to be successful at the workplace will actually be to increasingly communicate better in order to... Uh, provide meaning in all of that noise that reaches people. I think it was Steve Jobs who said the strongest uh, people in business are storytellers. Um, what advice do you have to um, startup founders in terms of being able to tell a story that inspires and is purposeful and, and compelling? I think the two things that you have to think about is um, partly you need to have a a bigger goal, a, a, a higher sense of purpose than just making money. But then the other thing is you need to be able to connect to that purpose in an authentic way. Because without those two components, you don't have a real story. Um, and once you have that, there's a lot of exciting ways of, of framing that story. And there's a lot of courses you can take on how to do that. But good stories have substance. and. and you can't just uh, you can't just put a story out there and and think that it'll work because it's a good story. You need to have the substance there, and I would encourage more uh, holistic thinking from founders. How will uh, how will their businesses have an impact in the world? What kind of uh, value do they generate for society in general? And then also, how do they connect that with the personal mission that they're on? Because being an entrepreneur is a very personal endeavor in many ways. Great advice. No, great advice. We are here talking to the CEO and co-founder of Prezi, Peter Arval. You can follow him at Peter A R V A I, and he can and you'll definitely get some great insights from Peter uh, about what's next with presentations, communications, and definitely check out that Harvard study on what the future looks like and what's more effective at communications. Thanks a lot for being on the show. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Peter. Well, uh, Ray, uh, this is why we have pilot co-pilot. I apologize <laughs> for uh, for exiting Disrupt TV, but good to be back. And uh, with with uh, with us, we now have our second guest, Edwin Van Bommel, Chief Cognitive Officer at IPSoft. What a great title! Uh, I'm hopeful we'll see more more titles like Chief Cognitive Officer. Thank you. Edwin, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I, I must say that the uh, how do you call it the, the yearly drinks of the chief cognitive 
cognitive officer club is still very lonely. So uh, yeah, no, absolutely. I, I'm sure that's not going to be the case. If, if I, by the way, invite CCOs, I get chief compliance officers and chief commercial officers, so I can get a group around. But I would like to have more cognitive. That's right. Chief customer <laughs> officers. Uh, so so Ed, Edwin is responsible for Microsoft's cognitive division and its digital agent Emilia, which we're going to talk about. Uh, yep. In his capacity, he leads strategy, pre-sales, partnerships, support for all of Amelia's implementations. Before IPsoft, Edwin worked at McKinsey & Company for more than 16 years. He was one of the founding partners of McKinsey Digital. He has deep expertise in digital strategy, uh, digitization of process, big data analytics, large case, and large-scale transformation. Uh, you can follow uh, Edwin on Twitter at E-D-W-I-N-V-A-N. B O M M E L. Welcome. Uh, our, I, I believe you are our first chief cognitive officer. Oh, I feel honored. Uh, <laughs> he is. He's I our inaugural chief cognitive I'm officer. Sure I will be the last one. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are looking at a wonderful skyline. Eric, if I was just in your offices a few days ago, um, and uh, we were talking about you know the future of work and what's happening to the category of virtual workers. But let's start by talking about why you joined IPsoft and your interesting title as a chief cognitive officer. Why chief cognitive officer? Oh well, um, let, let me first uh, talk about the uh, the transition to uh, to IPsoft. So within McKinsey, I was actually doing a lot of digital uh, transformation, really at scale, and I really love that work. What I tried to do was, was really work from a customer experience and to generate an optimized customer experience. And it was quite hard to generate that because on one hand, you were creating a very structured app with all kinds of online forms if people really wanted to do stuff. And on the other hand, you tried to integrate all kinds of advanced analytics, which were typically quite static. So although you could improve quite well, you never really had the ultimate human experience uh, on that. Um, so when I was doing a bit more research, I, I really came across around uh, AI and the power of AI. And then I also came across IPsoft. Um, and I got in contact uh, with, um, it's actually an interesting story. I got in contact with IPsoft uh, more by chance. I was sitting next to the CEO of the European division in a plane. And we talked uh, about AI and cognitive was very interesting. Um, but then it still uh, sort of stopped. And then four months later, guess who's sitting next to me in a plane? The same guy. Oh, right, that's uh, a sign. That's a sign. It was Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I, uh, I started to dive a bit more uh, deeper into, um, into cognitive uh, and especially into Amelia. And I was, I was extremely convinced. I mean, the analyst presentations were very strong around Amelia. There were great stories around impact. Um, and I started to help them a bit. I always was uh, guiding a couple of, uh, of startups uh, just in, in, in Holland, where I originally was based. Um, and I spent more and more time actually on, on helping here at this company. And at one moment, it was almost logical to actually uh, switch. And what really is attractive for me is that I, I want to disrupt. And, and this, for me, was the next disruption. And what I saw is that actually you need to be on this side of the equation. So in a company like IPsoft, to really lead those uh, types of transformations. Where in McKinsey, I was a super fast follower, looking around, seeing, hey, what is the trend? And can, what can my clients do with it? Now I'm actually shaping much more. And the shaping part was really what, what attracted me. On top of that, I mean, it was just a great, a great product. Yeah. That's amazing. So I, suspe I suspect it, you know, it's the gr uh, growth in terms of uh, natural language processing accuracy that makes Amelia so fantastic as a, as, a, as, a, as a virtual agent. Yes. Uh, can you talk about advancements, whether it's machine learning or natural language processing? What is your approach, or how is it that you know, we, we, we can be so mesmerized by yeah. Amelia in terms of our ability to accurately understand and engage with us? Um, the, the foundation of our research is actually through studying the human brain. Um, so when Peter actually was talking about um, how with Prezi do you look at how our brain works and, and how you can be very effective in presentations. What we do is we actually study as well how the human brain works to mimic that as much as possible by a machine. So we're 100% driven by beating the Turing test. So And to do that, you, you have to mimic the brain. So when he was talking about uh, the kitchen and how you visualize the kitchen, 
actually you're using your event memory for instance uh, we call that in Amelia the episodic memory so what you do is you upload all kinds of recent experiences or even experiences from your youth which are relevant to provide the answer now just to translate that into Amelia Amelia has the same thing so you we have one of the memories Amelia has is the episodic memory and what actually happens is is that um, if you start a conversation with Amelia and we have trained her with this part of the memory she will look at that part of the memory for relevant discussions around that topic so let's say you're a vendor and you want to know the status of an invoice she will understand hey that's the goal and she will look at all kinds of recent conversations she had or humans had which were the base of her training to say okay what is the next thing i now need to ask oh what is your invoice number <laughs> and you might you might say oh actually i don't know then she goes again she stays within the goal she looks for another conversation where someone actually did not know what the invoice number was and she will say oh but it's actually on uh, on the on the top of your typical invoice so so and and these type of things uh, that's an event-based memory like you and I have but then mimicked by a computer and that is true for for all the um, uh, for all the memories so if you, if you ask me for some some of the recent innovations we have upgraded our what we call process memory as well the process memory is and, and, and just to add to what you were saying is it's it's about um, natural language understanding because I understand what you want and I can talk back um, but sometimes I need to really run a process right? hmm. so I need to do a payment I need to open a bank account I uh, might activate a mobile phone all these type of things so I have to run a process up to for instance do a complete uh, quotation for a car insurance we use the process memory for that but the difference between a computer doing a process and a human is doing a process is when you know certain elements right about me for instance to give me my car policy you won't ask me right you just will use that data you already have hmm. or when i already have indicated that i want to insure two cars you're not going to stop after one car you immediately say okay now well, and now let's talk about the second car so what you do is you actually uh, uh, skip steps where possible because we're all a bit well you can say smart efficient lazy right? you can fill it in uh, but we always try to skip uh, steps and that is what we now have done with the process memory as well Amelia can skip steps up to a moment where she really says okay now I need additional data now I need to confirm something with you and she picks it up from there which makes it much more efficient and but also much more human I mean the worst conversations you have with call center agents is you explain the half of your life uh, including the issue <laughs> and then the first uh, the first question is Again, what, what was your name again? Right, so cold transfer. Cold transfer. Another another things we absolutely want to avoid, and this is, for instance, one of the upgrades on the on the process memory. Now, but the whole thing was so. What you see is with these two examples is we we try, we put everything in to make the, everything as human as possible. However, Amelia is still a computer, so the other thing we did as well is okay. But how can we now put in much more the benefits that Amelia actually is also a supercomputer, and this is. Why we integrated now much more advanced analytics in there so we can retell and for instance check if you're fraudulent or we can real time check okay what's the next best action to take so that coming back to what i was doing at mckinsey you can have this fully fluent customer experience using all the data from the conversation all the data we have around you in the crm system and really provide the optimal service uh, for you as an end customer now, this is really cool, the fact that you have a built-in episodic memory, the tick memory, and the procedural memory that works in the human mind. Most people haven't really thought through that in some of these AI systems. Uh, where does the neural net sit on the back for this? Uh, what we actually do is we have a lot of uh, different, uh, let's say, forms, for instance, of machine learning, including deep learning in there. Uh, we uh, have TensorFlow elements in there, for instance, for visual recognition. So we, we use a lot of good components, and then obviously we add all, all our secret sauces on, on top of that as well to really make the distinction. I think where I'm really proud of with Amelia is, is that it's, it's an integrated system. So we have right, uh, the six elements of our brain. We have the whole orchestration. We have all the integration. Everything is is integrated in one thing, um, and you need that because you can't have a uh, natural human experience if you only use one element, if you only use one brain. Because you you never do that, like I'm never doing that as well. 
And, and so the, the specific secret sauce is about how we integrate this and how we make Amelia based on this, based on this integration completely context aware. And that she's very much aware of what is the state of the system. And the state of the system is you and I are now the system. So you and I have now an interaction. And uh, I know what you already have asked me, right? I know my knowledge, etc. And for Amelia, it's the same thing. So with Amelia, let's say um, you are, for instance, uh, changing an address, right, for your mobile phone account. Um, and at one moment, Amelia might ask you, okay, what is, what is your new uh, zip code, right? She, she actually will understand uh, the, um, uh, the fact that she's asking zip code. So if you say, but why do you need my zip code? You never asked for my zip code before, or she never asked for it before. She knows it is relating to the zip code because that's in the state of the system. Um, and then if she, for instance, needs to understand if you still have your iPhone, but in the introduction you already said, oh, I need to just uh, to change the address for my iPhone 7, she won't ask that because that's, again, in the state of the system. She all, she got so her context. So it's there's a massive carrying of that context. I don't have to create specific pronouns. It actually brings that. And you said something very interesting to me on Wednesday. There's mm -hmm. no beginning or end to the journey. Um, and this is the ability to move from both front office to back office seamlessly as a virtual worker. Yes. Um, parse that out for, for the audience. Well, I, the, the simplest way I can do it is just to compare uh, to if you would hire a, a new human, a new human employee. So what, you, what do you do with a new human employee? And the employee is a customer service employee. Let's take that example. I mean, if, you, if I would join your company and you would give me just a phone, I probably cannot help any of your clients no i need to work with your systems i need to look up data for the client i need to look up versus pricing but also i need to type in data right to create a new product or to change this address which i was just talking about so the only way to really have an effective customer service is if you can have the conversation but also really uh, then do all the work run the whole process to help the client and I, I can tell you, we have we have over 50 engagements globally. There are a couple of engagements where we don't have the system integration, and then we have similar engagements where we have the system integration. So in the first example, you will ask Amelia, can you um, uh, help me with this? And Amelia will say, sure, um, here's the link to the website for self-service to do that. Where in the second occasion, Amelia will say, okay, let's say you wanna insure your dog. What is the name of your dog? And then how old is your dog? And is, it, is the dog living on the same address as you? Okay, your dog is now insured. What is the best experience? Uh, everyone likes the second one more. And that's what we see back in our customer service reviews is if Amelia just solves your problem immediately instead of just pushing you back into self-service, that's what, that's what client wants. And, and it's logical. I mean, look at your own experiences, right? If you call a, if you call a human agent and says, okay, now you can actually do it on our website, have a great afternoon and hangs on the phone, you actually feel very bad, right? Mm -hmm. but, um, and we try to prevent that. As, as we talk about personalization and context, mm -hmm. as Amelia is exposed to different industries, have you learned opportunities to tweak the algorithm and make enhancements based on the fact that Amelia over time will be exposed to different industries, whether it's retail, healthcare, higher ed, whatever it may be, yeah. Uh, and, and there are subtleties in terms of how you service uh, different industries. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, it's a, it's a brilliant question. And it's sometimes not even industries. It's also within an industry between different types of clients, right? So there, there, are, there are different levels. So there's more on the technical level in terms of understanding. Um, one way uh, to train Amelia, for instance, is to let her just read documents. So you give her a document. And then you can ask questions, right? So for FAQ types of applications, this is how we train her in, in an FAQ. Obviously, there is an engine underneath, right? Who actually does the whole thing. Now, we have ways to tweak the engine by industry because obviously we train the engine underneath. You get an empty engine, but it's pre-trained, right? Mm -hmm. To recognize certain words and context and these type of things. And this is what we can do industry specific. So we have an engine which is more trained to understand technical documents, for instance, to do service desk work versus banking uh, based on, for instance, to learn banking uh, type of, of, of uh, uh, language. So that's sort of in the engine for the understanding, we already can, can differentiate. 
Um, the other thing we do as well is, for instance, to recognize intent. We also have industry class, classes of, of classifiers, which again are pre-trained based on all the data we have. Uh, and, and data is crucial, right, mm -hmm. as you know. Um, then the other thing is that Amelia is herself, obviously you can give her, I mean, she's human, right? So we have, uh, 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 well, sort of human. We, we, have, uh, the EQ, we, have, we have, for instance, the EQ, right? You hear that I'm only talking about she and her, right? So forgive me. <laughs> but <clears throat> so the, but the, the thing is, uh, her EQ, um, we can make her more and less formal. We can have her more, make her more or less emotional. Right? And some industries are more formal, like banking. We serve banks. Amelia will be more formal there than, for instance, when she's supporting uh, clients in gaming. We also work in the gaming industry. So we can mimic the way she responds in terms of a character. And now with version 3, we can go even further. We can really give her even more of, it, more of a personality so that she becomes much more, uh, let's say, consistent with your brand. Right? So because of Amelia, if she will become your representative, if she's in customer service, so the whole branding becomes more and more important. Um, that might be things like where she lives, her favorite soccer team, if you sponsor soccer, <laughs> but also up to again how formal or informal is she? Sure. How much Ray, uh, Ray, I'm thinking we should have Amelia watch our 175 prior guests and then come on the show as a guest. I don't know. I uh, I'm more than happy uh, to already organize it. That would be actually uh, <laughs> that would be very interesting. Yes, uh, 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 not only the first cognitive chief cognitive, but then also the first uh, virtual human agent. Uh, a lot of our virtual cognitive agents. Yeah, I like it. It would, so, uh, it would be fun. We we had some things like early like NLP. Um, engines as demos at our conference a few years ago, and we were like, "Oh, this is interesting." But to actually get a whole virtual worker up—that's that's very exciting. So, okay. so what do you you know you had you just recently had an event uh, about a month ago with a yeah. number of your customers there. Tell us the type of customers that showed up, the different types of industries. You can tell us the companies. That's even better. Um, but, but like, what do they represent? Because this you're not just like focused on one narrow industry here. There's a whole bunch of things that you've been helping other organizations with to use AI to rapidly improve the way they conduct business. Yes. So, so we focus basically on all the major industries which are radically uh, transforming. And, and the Digital Workforce Summit, was a, I, I was very proud, to be honest. I, I, I think it was an excellent. It was our first big summit, uh, but it was actually we had over 450 guests. And we had over 20 clients on stage. Uh, and there were great testimonials about the impact uh, Amelia had. So we had in insurance, uh, for instance, uh, we had uh, a company like MedLife on stage. Uh, we, we had uh, in gaming EA. So we had many of these big companies explaining to the audience what actually they were doing with, um, uh, with the media and how much impact uh, we had. And, and for me, the reason why it's so important, obviously for us, right, the best way to convey the impact of Amelia is not me telling Amelia is great, but my clients telling Amelia is great. But the, the significant importance is also that there's a lot of criticism currently on AI players, that there's a lot of stories, and that there's a lot of fuzz. But, but where is the impact? And I think we need to be extremely careful with just creating even more in transparency about what technology can and cannot do. We just need to tell the honest story, this is where we stand, and you already can have tremendous impact. But the best way to do that is actually to show everyone examples Yep. and how those examples came along. Because otherwise, we, as an industry, are our own worst enemy. And before you know, I, I mean, big data was a big hype. It was already gone. And people are now relabeling big data to, uh, to AI. But again, it's not about relabeling. It's about having measurable outcomes. Um, and, and that was, for me, the core thing, which obviously is, is good for IPsoft, but it's also definitely something currently the industry uh, needs to go to the next level. Absolutely. So when you say measurable outcomes in the context of service and support, is it things like first contact resolution, case deflection, first person resolution? Are they using traditional service KPIs and showing how there's improvement when you integrate uh, you know, a virtual agent into your, into your frontline service and support staff? Yes, absolutely. So. Um, Basically, you just mentioned my most important KPIs. We always uh, go one level uh, deeper that we say, okay, there's, right, uh, I mean, well, first of all, what is the coverage Amelia has? Yeah. Right. So let's say there are 100 calls coming in an hour. 
is, is Amelia trained to handle only 20 or can she handle really 60 to 80, right? So the more coverage, the more relevant she is. Sure, sure. Uh, then when she picks stuff up, she needs to do it correctly. And this is what we call accurately handled, which is indeed first time right, as, as you just uh, said. But the third thing, which is for me crucial, is what is the end user experience? Right, and so how many, yeah. Because for me, it's extremely easy to right narrow down the technology and not to use the technology to its full extent and create an IVR type of experience. That's extremely wow. safe, right? You won't be thrown out. There won't be any misunderstandings. Yeah, we can tell you the customer will hate it. I will get in a scale of zero to five. <laughs> I get a one at max. <laughs> but I would rather sometimes miss a couple of percentage in terms of what I mean. I cannot handle, but have everyone who is being handled correctly is super happy yeah it's super human because these people come back so right. I, otherwise people don't come back and i actually won't generate the impact for my clients wow we're, is the crucial element there and we are here talking to edwin von bommel talking about the future of work and what's happening in this new category of virtual workers talking about amelia he's the chief cognitive officer at ipsoft you can follow him out on Twitter at Edwin Von, B-O-M-M-E-L. Thank you so much for being on the show and being oh, a human. <laughs> Next time I'll bring Amelia. That's, uh... Yeah, definitely. Well thank you. Thank you. We could talk about this, this topic for hours. Uh, I'm certainly fascinated by, uh, you know, the, the future of mixed environments and, and an expert in this topic and, uh, who will weigh in uh, is our what we call the cleanup hitter spot hall of fame first ballot inductee uh, and probably based on community votes the best uh, substitute co-host anytime ray and i are out of pocket based on his past performance on disrupt tv we have alan lapofsky vice president principal analyst at constellation research uh, with over two decades, and I know you can't believe that because it looks like we would have started that 10 uh, experience and collaboration in the software industry. Alan helps organizations improve the way their employees work together and get their job done. Um, um, you can follow Alan on Twitter. He's another exceptional follower on Twitter. And those are the only folks we invite to Disrupt TV at A-L-A-N-L-E-P-O. Welcome, Alan, to uh, Disrupt TV. Hi, Vala. It's always an amazing way to end the week when someone compliments you for two minutes. So thank you. I can, I, I, I can finish work today feeling good. So Alan, you just heard two incredible guests talk about storytelling, future of work, how we should collaborate, connect. Before we get into your, uh, you know, your, your, your areas of interest in research and your thought leadership discussions, what are your thoughts of what you just heard? Um, well, you know, you, you called me the cleanup hitter. It's like, I have no work to do after following those two guys. It's like, maybe <laughs> I just lay down a sacrificial bunt or something and let those guys score because I couldn't ask for a better segue. We have, you know, uh, conversations about new forms of storytelling and information and content creation, which is a huge part of the future of work. And then we spend 10 minutes talking about artificial intelligence and digital assistance. You know, these two things are huge parts of what I'm researching. So as you know, for me, I'm sitting there listening to Disrupt TV today, like taking notes instead of just, you know, enjoying it. Like this was like a product briefing for me. So it was fantastic. That's awesome. That's awesome. Oh, this is, this it, it, is great. As, we talk, as we talk about Amelia and, and, and agents, do you see adoption uh, in terms of acceptance of having frontline engagement with, with, with machines um, and, and not worrying too much about tarnishing a brand or worrying that we're over automating critical touch points with customers in, in, in context of a frontline service and support function? Well, it, it's really interesting. I think obviously it's new, you know, not all brands have automated agents and things like that yet. I think where it's successful is if you don't even know you're interacting with one, that's, that's the level we have to get to. I don't want statistics around adoption of virtual digital assistants and things like that. I don't want people to know they're dealing with one. Now we're, we're a ways away from that, but natural language processing and things like that are certainly helping us be able to engage, make things feel more realistic. You mentioned, you know, front office use cases like, you know, things like uh, consumer engagement, customer engagement, the buying cycle. I focus a lot on sort of things, you know, in the productivity stage, emails and collaboration and chat right. clients. Right. All of those agents need to feel like you're interacting with somebody or else 
you get frustrated, you play with them, they're a toy, you ask them help nine or 10 times to learn what they can do. Like probably the most frequently typed thing is like help, you know? And so you go, Ooh, I can ask it about the weather or I can ask it about a stock quote or, you know, so we're still sort of learning where you wouldn't walk up to a person and go, what can I ask you? You know? So uh, at some point they just need to be there and we need to not even know that we're interacting with them, but we're a ways away from that still. That is awesome. Hey, and you know, Alan, you just, uh, you've been working on a couple things that are our macro trends and mega trends really on we, we call astro charts in the future of work. What's hot? What's going on between that intersection between what's really working and what people are really adopting? All right. So for me, you know, so Ray, you mentioned these astro charts. And for those of you familiar with what Constellation does, we're sort of mapping out the big trends that are happening how many companies are adopting them, how many are not, the impact they have. Are they going to only impact a few people? Are they going to really change your company? Or are they exponential? And so for me, it's exciting to think of the things that are coming later. So things that are going to dramatically change the way employees work, and they're going to impact a large portion of your workforce. And what those are are things around what we call the inputs and outputs of the future of work. You know, Ray, you and I have been, been playing around with the idea of augmented humanity or augmented employment or augmented knowledge workers, you know, those types of things. And the big trends that are happening are things that are going to allow us to focus on our tasks and get our work done. And so many aspects of our job have led to overload information overload, task management overload, channel overload, too many things the big things are going to focus on helping reduce those complexities. And so we're looking at things like, you know, new forms of content creation, like Prezi, you know, for example, that we talked about. If you think about the content creation we're doing today, it's formed around 1980, 90, early 2000, you know, metaphors for old school physical world constraints, pieces of paper, whiteboards, things like that. We look at something like Prezi that's an infinite canvas. Yeah, post-it notes, you know. <laughs> Prezi looks at these things, especially when Peter's talking about in augmented and virtual reality, but let's just even boring in 2D. Prezi looks at things as this infinite canvas of ways of working. Uh, and so the intersection of those new metaphors is what's really exciting to me facial recognition, hand gestures, uh, new forms of transportation, you know, all of these different things that are not the next version or an incremental improvement over, you know, a 10-year version of software you have, but brand new things. You know, how many people today use facial recognition to delete or highlight content on their screen? But in a few years, you will. It'll be able to notice I'm upset about this, or I like that, or my blinking patterns are changing. So I'm really interested in the things that are coming that are new metaphors, not just incremental improvements over the tools that we have today. When you engage with clients, how often do you see CHROs involved in the conversation in terms of um, wanting to better understand how technology can improve workforce collaboration, and getting the job done in a productive, meaningful way. Is HR part of the discussion or are you dealing with CIOs and CROs and so on and so forth? Well, it's really interesting how HR has come to the table in the last few years because yeah. people as a resource have elevated beyond the hiring process. It's not right. just HR has always been there to hire, but yeah. now it's the ranking and rewarding and recognition and keeping loyalty and those things. So people need to be productive efficient, effective, and HR has a stake in that now where they never used to. And we know that you know people want to interact differently than they used to. This is what's exciting about work. We can use cliches like collaboration and social and all these things, but bottom line is people want to have more interactive elements to their day. Now, where I disagree with all the evangelism and excitement around, transparency and collaboration is that people don't always work together in real time. I'm not as excited about that. There's less scenarios where you, me, and Ray are going to collaborate at the exact same time. But what I am excited about is the things that we do are discoverable and shareable and repeatable. Yeah. And that's where HR gets involved in things like IP, you know, owning content. Uh, you know, who hasn't had a manager 
sorry, Ray, take credit for things that they've done. You know? <laughs> you know? So, you know, in this new world, it's all about ownership of your content. I, I, you know, Ray, I know you're working on a report that says, you know, by 2020, 60% of content is going to be owned, you know, by those people. You may want to kind of, you know, talk about that. That's a huge change is that we are going to own our identity in ways that we never used to. And that is a huge change for HR. Today, you know, I only have one driver's license. I don't have a different driver's license for each vehicle I have or each road that I travel on, but I have a different ID for every tool and every employer and every customer and you know, every forum that I belong to. We need a universal ID. And because of that, we're going to start to have ownership of our data. And I think that's a huge change, Vala, for HR. And they're going to have to get you know, their head around that. Sure, sure. Wow, these are big, meaty issues uh, that we keep popping into. You recently wrote something very interesting. You got two really hot reports out there. One is digital adoption platforms. If you can talk a little bit about that uh, and and what that means, uh, especially as we're all trying to figure out how to learn how to use things. Uh, and then and uh, we'll, we'll talk about your next research with Vala. Yeah, this you know digital adoption. to people what that is as I mentioned we have so much information and so many tools and so many new apps and you know Vala asks about HR these two things are you know your two questions are converging companies are concerned with employee training employee onboarding customer retention getting the sales cycle reduced these digital adoption platforms are modern-day help systems that engage with people in far more interactive ways than let me go up to the help menu and figure out how to do something. Instead, they're these virtual agents that pop up on your screen that guide you through problems that you're having. If you're filling out a CRM record and you don't know how to you know, lead score, or if you're trying to add something to a shopping cart and you're not sure how to do shipping and handling, why have to go manually do it yourself? Shouldn't the software in 2017 know what problems you're having and pop up information on the screen? Not just little text bubbles, but videos or tutorials. Um, and, and the huge part of what makes these new help systems very different than the old school ones is analytics in the background so that the employers can actually learn where those problems are occurring and fix them before they even occur. So it's not just the front end, it's how do we eliminate those problems to begin with. So it's a really cool aspect of technology that almost everyone should have built into their websites these days. It's, it's very, very cool stuff. Sure. I, I often share this stat on Disrupt TV because the numbers keep growing. It's 1,900 startups that have fetched 19 billion in VC funding just in a couple of years. So there's incredible momentum in terms of companies uh, aware and implementing uh, data science and AI capabilities in their business. Where do you think, which line of business do you think is going to really champion adoption of machine learning and natural language processing and deep learning into the enterprise? Is it yeah. customer service because they're traditionally more disciplined? Is it the art and science combination that's a CMO that's leading it in marketing? Is it sales? Uh, you know, wh where do you see, uh, where do you see uh, the champions of AI in, in business with the clients that you work with? Well, let's talk about those three scenarios that you just brought up. So if we look at customer service, how can we make decisions and answer questions faster? So the average, you know, the employees that are working those customer support desks have knowledge bases that they have to search through. If I have a trouble ticket and the pattern matching from AI can instantly give me, you know, answers or recommendations, even cutting the human out, like maybe we can just get to better self-support for customers. Mm -hmm. And it's not just let me go search my, that company's knowledge base. Instead, it's let me through natural language processing, interact with something like Amelia from the, from the, the earlier call and say, I'm having a problem with, you know, installing this product or buying this product and it finding the right answer. So pattern matching at a much more natural level than just keyword searching. Like I don't, you know, you go to Google and you keyword search for something, you know, you're going to get a thousand hits. You right. only want two or three that are accurate. Marketing, absolutely finding the right customer for the right campaign yeah. is something that AI can help with. We hear about sales a lot. And the interesting thing when I talk to salespeople is there's such a human aspect to lead generation and pipeline development 
where AI can be helpful, they're a little weary because salespeople want to build relationships. You know, it's not just let me have the AI say, for your territory and your industry, this is going to be the best buyer. You know, it, up until now, it doesn't take into account enough aspects that I think the salesperson is is ready to just completely 100% trust that automation. But if it can filter things down and say, of the th you know of your 20 choices, here are the three you should look at. Now you go manually decide on these three. Then that's going to be massively helpful. Wow, um, that curation that curation element seems to be very important, right? We're information overloaded. Yeah, it yeah, is. You know. Yeah. I'll give you an example. I saw I saw an interview or read an interview with the CEO of a of a multi-billion-dollar company. I was fascinated by the by the um, by the article, so I forwarded it to the account executive uh, for that for that account. Um, she connected uh, or congratulated the CEO on the article, and uh, fast forward a few days later, and we now have a scheduled DVC uh, with, with with the CEO and 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 his staff. So if I hadn't read that post and forwarded to the AE and she wasn't smart, you know, didn't take the, a few minutes to, so all of this discovering buying signals outside the purview of the account executive or sales, I imagine that one of the power of AI in terms of customer acquisition will be to really look for activities that are happening with your clients and prospects and then guide you in terms of this is an opportunity for you to engage. Vala, um, you know, you 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 hit the nail on the head about aggregating together you know, different sources of information to find topics and patterns. I look at my life, research analyst, a hundred different websites and blogs, newscasts, like. I, I dream of the day where there's an AI agent and my software is intelligent enough to say, Alan. Here are all the things happening in your coverage area. Let me aggregate them together and let you know what the hot topics are. Instead, Alan, how many tabs do you have open? <laughs> 30, it's a standing joke for those in the audience that within my company, I probably have 30 or 40 you know, Chrome tabs open at any time. You know, I look at just this week, the amount of news articles, you know, Mitel buying Shortel, Slack getting 250 million in funding. Five million Five million in funding. You know, all of the, I've had 25 different things happen in my coverage area this week that I've either had to manually discover or they, their AR teams have had to push to me. It's, not, it's 2017, we can land rovers on Mars. Like my software should be able to assemble that information for me. So, yeah. you know, I- And, and stock ranking based on, uh, you know, size of the market or the engagement level that's taking place on that topic. So not only I wanted a curated list, but I wanted curated based on a volume of sentiment, impact to market, share price. You know, I mean, you know, it, it's, it's, uh, it's insane that it's manual today. <laughs> But, but the exciting thing is to, to break down the myth and the worry. All of those things you and I just talked about yeah. are not going to put any of us out of our jobs. They are going to help our jobs. Like if you could stack rank and build that for me, that doesn't mean the job is done. It means I can do my job better now and waste less time. And that's huge. Like, oh no, Amelia is going to put me out of work. No, it's not. Amelia is going to let you do your job better. Absolutely. So it's really interesting stuff. I'm excited. I, this is. I think the likelihood of a person being replaced by a by another person that uses AI to do his or her job is far higher, greater probability than a robot. So, oh. so, uh, but but no, I I, to, I totally agree. Go ahead, Ray. Oh no, I was gonna say this is we can talk to Alan on this stuff for a long time. You check I got out a checklist of a thousand future of work things. <laughs> check out the new research that he has why artificial intelligence will power the future of work. You're listening to Alan Leposky, Vice President, Principal Analyst here at Constellation Research. More importantly, follow him on Twitter at Alan L E P O. Nice backdrop, man. I thought you were in New York. <laughs> Constellation 60th floor office in New York City. There you go. I love that. <laughs> Thanks a lot for being on the show. Going up. The Constellation powers keep going up. Our awesome cleanup hitter and more importantly, substitute guest show host. <laughs> Thank you, Alan. You rocks. So cool, man. We've got our episode number 73 coming up. This is the public sector. Good. I mean, this is an awesome episode of folks that are showing up. Tell us who's coming on. 
Yeah, next yeah. week uh, we're going to talk about connected cities, smart cities. We're going to talk about the influence of IoT and AI, really re, re, reinventing the, the citizen uh, quality of life. And uh, we start with Jonathan Feldman, CIO, city of Asheville. We then have Miguel Gamano, uh, the C, uh, CTO of New York City. Uh, he was a former CIO of San Francisco. So he's doing some remarkable work in, uh, in the Big Apple. We're going to talk about that. And then Heather Clancy, another first ballot Hall of Fame, Disrupt TV inductee, editorial director of Green Biz. So as we talk about connected modern cities, and digitization, we also talk about the importance of sustainability and having green environments. So it's gonna be an awesome, awesome show. This is really cool. Well, hey, it's Friday, it's Disrupt TV. If you know someone great, please tell them to come to the show. You can reach Bala or myself, or you can reach our awesome producer, Aubrey. So thanks a lot, and have a wonderful Friday. Bye-bye.